Well, our friends, what did you get for Christmas? I got this wonderful jumper for Christmas. What do you think about it? Isn't it fantastic? It just goes with my beard, doesn't it? I didn't get a sat-nav. Now, don't be sorry for me, because I am a troglodyte. I am antediluvian. That means I'm very, very old. I was born before the flood. I am still in the realm of maps and signposts, and I have the best navigator in the universe. <laughs> but this morning, I thought I'd share with you a sat-nav for the new year. And you'll find it in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 and following. Before we have a look at that, let me just whiz you through the first part of the chapter because it's really unfair just landing on bits of scripture and not giving you the context. So, in the preceding verses, Peter's been talking about how we're saved. In other words, how God brings us home to himself. After the greeting in verse 1, he says in verse 2 that we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So in other words, he's brought us home and that process has nothing to do with anything that we have done. It's not because of a decision we have made. It's all of God, all of God. And that gives me such encouragement in the Christian life. When I'm tempted to be discouraged for any reason, I can say, let me no more my comfort take from my frail hold of thee. In this alone rejoice with awe, thy mighty grasp of me. He's got me. And he's got me because he decided to get me and he's never going to change his mind. And then in verse 3, he goes on to say that the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ has given us living hope. And that hope looks forward to what verse 4 calls an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Isn't that great? There is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, which has your name on it. It's there for you. But before we enjoy that inheritance, there are trials to face, difficulties to overcome, as verse 6 points out. But as we see in verse 7, that process is necessary because it refines our faith. And then in verse 8, he reminds us that although we don't see Jesus now, our love reaches out to him and we're filled with a joy too wonderful for words. Verse 9 is the conclusion. All this results in a faith which, though tested by challenge and adversity, remains as the living link between us and God. Faith like that is the response we make to what God has done and it's that that finally brings us home. Now, verses 10, 11, and 12 are a kind of parenthesis showing just how blessed we are because 
While the prophets searched with greatest care trying to fathom out the purposes of God, it's only we who love the Lord Jesus to whom it's finally been revealed. That purpose has finally been revealed. And we ought to realize what a tremendous privilege that is because although they long to, it's not one that even the angels in heaven can share. So that's the background. That's the context. And in verse 13, we come to that great hinge word, therefore, with all that in mind, what kind of people should we be? We switch on the sat On um, the 27th of December, Thursday of last week, my younger son and his wife and daughter came to spend the day with us. We had a lovely time. And as they got back into the car, I saw Philip take the uh, wire and plug the sat-nav in. You see, unlike his antediluvian father, he keeps up to date with these things. Well, that's the point that we're at now. We're plugging in the sat-nav. Where do we go? Well, the Bible is very clear. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace given when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We sang that lovely song just now, didn't we? Our desire is to be holy, set apart for Jesus. That's our destination. But we need to know how to get there. Our destination is holiness. That's where God wants us to be. How do we get there? Well, speaking for myself most of the time, I feel anything but holy. Because I, I, I find myself making the same mistakes taking the wrong turnings, falling victim to the same temptations. How are we to make progress in our journey towards God? Well, in verse 13, there are three instructions. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So how do we prepare our minds for action? I asked Janet to read that short passage from Luke 11 because Jesus is laying down a very, very basic and important principle for living as a Christian. Verses 34 and 35, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they're bad... Your body is full of darkness. Now, he's talking about the eyes, but you see, the eyes are the windows of the mind, aren't they? They're the windows of the mind. And he's saying that if we let all kinds of harmful things gain interest to our, entrance to our minds, they will bring darkness with them. Preparing our minds for action means nurturing good things, wholesome thoughts and attitudes. Um, Paul says this, doesn't he, in Philippians 
uh, almost at the end of the letter. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's so easy to do the opposite. And this is, of course, one of the great dangers of the Internet. At the click of a mouse... You can be involved in all kinds of awful things. It's been, it's been estimated that 20% of Christian men watch pornography on the internet. 20% of Christian men. Women watch pornography as well, but I don't know any figure that's been quoted. Now, if that's true, what proportion of the general population, of the male general population, watch the internet and look at pornography. Pornography desensitizes our minds. And instead of looking at other people as fellow human beings made in the image of God, they become objects to be exploited. That's why Peter tells us that we've got to be self-controlled. And why Jesus says, if you let these things into your mind, they bring the darkness. Self-control, of course, is easier said to achieve than done. So what do we do? Well, we turn to the word of God and we discover the solution to the problem. And it's there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. We don't have to grit our teeth and force ourselves to behave properly. If we're ready to let God do his work to open our lives to the Holy Spirit, he will produce his fruit. He really will. And amongst it will be self-control. Of course, as with every other aspect of the Christian faith, we've got to want it to happen. Just vaguely hoping that it will come about is no good. Okay, the next instruction from the Satnav: Set your hope on the grace that is to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, I find this really encouraging because it says to me that God hasn't finished with me yet. Oh yes, I get discouraged in the Christian life. But he who began a good work in me will carry it on until it is complete on the day of Christ Jesus. God hasn't finished with me yet, and he hasn't finished with you yet. As you look back over 2012, maybe there are things that you regret. Leave them behind. Forgetting what is behind, says Paul. I press on towards the goal for the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And you haven't got to burst your lungs and, and, and destroy yourself as you run that race because he's running it with you. 
He's encouraging you constantly. He's there all the time. Encouraging you, urging you on, giving you, forgiving you, restoring you, rescuing you, remaking you. And he's never going to let you down. Set your hope on the grace that is to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And it will be given you. And you and I will stand in the presence of innumerable angels. And they will catch their breath when they look at you and me. As they see what God has done. Well, verse 14 restates the instructions in another way. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Yes, we've got to leave sin behind. Alexander White's words are always an encouragement to me. The perseverance of the saints is falling down and getting up, falling down and getting up, all the way to heaven. But we mustn't use them as an excuse to go on falling. Because falling matters. And when you fall, you get hurt, don't you? You know, the thing I least used to like to do when I was... When I was a young person, I was falling off my bike. Can you remember falling off your bike and scoring your hands along the road, you know, and all the grit gets stuck in your, in your hands and in your knees? And apart from the inevitable embarrassment when everybody else is watching, it hurts when we fall. We mustn't make it an excuse. No. We've got to turn our back on sin. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Repentance means walking in one direction and deciding to turn round and walk in the other and leave that behind. So the roadmap has, or rather the sat-nap, has taken us through the need to keep our minds alert, to be self-controlled, to set our hope on the grace to be given, to turn our back on sin, now we come to the destination. You have arrived at your destination. The goal of our journey, holiness. Verses 15 and 16. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy. In all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So what does it mean to be holy? It doesn't mean going around with a seraphic smile on your face and a great big floppy Bible under your arm. I'm nothing against floppy Bibles. They're great. Except when they're used as a kind of badge of honor. Size matters. Look at my Bible. No. To be holy means to be devoted. That's what it means. To be devoted. To be devoted to God, specifically given over to God, set apart for Jesus. Thank you for choosing that hymn so much, David, because it says everything. I want to be set apart for Jesus. That's what being holy means. 
so that he can do whatever he wants you to, to do. Let me share a, a true story. And this is a remarkable story, really. It's about a man called Duncan Campbell. Duncan Campbell, uh, Duncan Campbell was a, a, a wonderful leader of a revival in the highlands of Scotland um, in the early part of the 20th century. And as a young man, he fought with a cavalry regiment in the First World War. He'd been brought up in the highlands, wonderfully converted there. So the hell of the trenches of Passchendaele was a terrible experience for him as it was for everybody else. Nevertheless, he took part in one of the last major cavalry charges of the British Army. They plunged into the fray, but they were no match for the advancing troops. And not only was his horse shot from under him, he was wounded himself and he lay in the mud, while a second charge from a Canadian attachment passed over him, and the hoofs of one of the riders or the horses struck him in the spine and he cried out with pain. Well, that cry saved his life because realizing what had happened, the rider turned round, picked up the young man, threw him across his horse and took him to the nearest casualty station. As he lay on the stretcher, he was sure that he would be in heaven very soon. And he had one regret. He grieved that in his short life, he was only 19, he'd brought no one as far as he knew, to faith in Jesus. And the words of a hymn that he sang very often as a young person went through his mind, must I go and empty-handed with no ransomed souls to show? Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? And then another thought struck him. Was he ready himself? To meet his maker, a verse from Hebrews 12 came to his mind, without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And he prayed a prayer that he'd heard his father often pray, and I think this is wonderful. Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. And then the Holy Spirit took a hand. Now God does remarkable things with remarkable people, in remarkable ways. And as I read this, my spine just tingled. Because a nurse came to his bedside. She'd been brought up in the Highlands as well. And she softly began to sing the Gallic words to William Cooper's hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And instantly, instantly, Campbell recognized it, and his heart just bubbled over with joy. And he began to quote in Gaelic, this time, the words of the metrical version of Psalm 103. Now, almost certainly, no one else in that casualty station could understand those words. But somehow a solemn hush came over everyone, and within minutes, conviction of sin had come to at least seven of the Canadian soldiers who were lying there on stretchers. Now that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And before 
Campbell himself was lifted away from the station, he heard all of those seven soldiers testify to the reality of what had happened and how they had accepted Christ as their Savior. Now, don't ask me to explain how it happened. All I know is that it did happen. And from that moment on, Duncan Duncan Campbell knew that there was only one thing he could do with the rest of his life, and that was to be devoted to God to bring other people to faith. He was quite literally holy to the Lord. Now, maybe you and I will not be called to do what he did because, as I have said, he went on to lead a remarkable revival in the Highlands, but each one of us, you see, can be holy to the Lord. And David's wonderful children's address showed us that so clearly, didn't it? You don't have to come out of life to be holy to the Lord. You don't have to deny yourself and deny your humanity to be holy to the Lord. You simply have to take what you've got and put it at his disposal. My word, that hurt. That's what it means to be holy to the Lord, saying, this is yours, Lord, because I'm yours.